Hi, podcasters. This is Stefan. Today I'm talking with Kenny Valen. Kenny is an assistant professor of human dimensions of fish and wildlife at the University of Idaho. His professorship is a joint position with the Idaho Department of Fish and Game, so Kenny has one foot in academia and one in practice. He received his PhD from Texas A&M University in the Human Dimensions of Natural Resources program, his MS at Oklahoma State University in Zoology, and his BA at Truman State University in Psychology. In the podcast, we discuss Kenny's interdisciplinary education and how this sparked his interest in team science, human dimensions research, and building a network of like-minded individuals within the conservation space. We also discuss his unique position being both a university professor and an Idaho State fish and game human dimensions researcher. Thanks for joining us. This is the Finding Sustainability Podcast. Kenny, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for the invite. I came across to you on, I think, first your Twitter account, then I was browsing on your your university page. We hit a lot of the same words and, and interests, and one of those <laughs> which caught my, my eye quickly was conservation social science, your efforts to link or perhaps put a network together there. And then the other one was the link to Idaho fish and wildlife, so more on the practitioner policy side. And... Then I was just clicking through also before this, and I saw that you have a BA in psychology, an MS in zoology, and then a PhD in, in human dimensions of natural resources. So you've you've efficiently navigated the interdisciplinary space of education. So pretty excited to, to chat about those things, and perhaps we can get started by just giving an overview of, of how you went through your education and how you got to where you are now. Yeah. So to start off, it wasn't intentional, <laughs> um, which is kind of the interesting thing. Cause um, when I started, I didn't, I had no idea, you know, human dimensions or, you know, conservation, environmental, marine, social science, whatever you want to call it even existed. So, you know, I was trying to put together things as an undergrad. So my, um, so yeah, my, my degree undergrad degrees in psychology and, and that's where my, really my interest were with people. But then obviously with my master's, uh, I transitioned over into, you know, ecology with, uh, with a zoology degree there. Um, but during my undergrad, I was doing, uh, mammalogy research as an undergrad, um, with the McNair program. Uh, and so I was already trying to do both, but doing them separately. Um, and then continued doing, um, just the ecology side, the landscape ecology side of it from my master's. And then, um, after that, I just kind of wandered. Um, I didn't, I didn't jump right into my PhD. I took about two years off and then, yeah, found a nice IGERT program at Texas A&M and my advisor there, Jared Kyle in his lab. And, and yeah, I found this whole world of people that kind of think about things the same way I do and are trying to do things sort of like you pointed out to bridge, you know, the, the basic science with the, actual conservation practice and so it's it's been a nice journey but yeah completely unintentional <laughs> yeah i'm interested in this wandering aspect a lot of times we think that an academic career is stepwise progressive in, in, towards a, a goal and at least i personally had a, a phase of wandering for a couple of years i mean was that a formative process for you going through thinking about what you wanted to do did, did that have an impact on what you ended up deciding to do for your PhD? Um, I think so. I mean, it was just kind of one of those things. Somebody sent me a link. Um, it's uh, It was called the Applied Biodiversity Science Program, part of the the NSF IGERT program here in the U.S. at Texas A&M. And I looked at it and I was like, 
shit, that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> I didn't know it existed. <laughs> so it was kind of, then I found this whole world. Um, and so that was my entree into this world. And then, um, you know, with my advisor there, it turns out there's this whole sort of human dimensions world that stems from a lot of, a lot of um, you know, outdoor recreation and leisure research. Um, and then, you know, then I come to find out there's this whole, you know, environmental psychology, conservation psychology world. And I was like, oh, wow, that's what I was doing before, you know, as an undergrad. And then, you know, it all clicked um, and it kind of just feels like home after a while. Or was it easy for you to find the links between, for example, psychology and, and, and more of the biology, natural science side of things? I mean, was there at the time, was it clear to you how you could do research, which, which links both of those together? Uh, at the time, it all made sense in my head. You know how you can just sort of you make the you know, you're making all these assumptions and jumps in your head and it all kind of makes sense when you're doing that, you know, getting it down on paper and into a proposal and into a, you know, a, a research format was a little bit harder. But, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, you come to realize that whether it's, you know, natural resource management, wildlife management, fisheries management, anything within the conservation sustainability domain it's all people doing stuff so you got to understand people first and foremost so and and knowing you know i had some some formative experiences during my master's where i was trying to do that um but um i was you know kind of hit a wall um because i was in sort of that ecology domain and but after a while you know you realize that it just takes you know knowing the right people being in the right space to allow you know to where you're allowed to sort of ask those questions so, for example, you know, we're my master's, I'm looking at, you know, rangeland management practices and fire application, a herbicide application with, you know, um, cattle. And I'm studying bees and, and flower phenology um, associated with those different management practices. And I was like, hey, I wonder what the people think about all this stuff, right? Because it's the people's cows. Like, it's the the ranchers, the landowners' cows, their their property, their pastures, and kind of like, you know, what do they think about all this stuff? The people who aren't on our nice, you know, university-owned experimental plot. Um, and so I, I didn't have an opportunity to do that during my master's, but it kind of stuck with me. And, and it turns out there's this whole world um, that does that. And so, yeah, putting together questions, um, and kind of forming, you know, based on theory and some good research questions is, is usually the fun part because oftentimes you're tackling stuff that other people may have sort of, you know, tackled before, but maybe in a different way or sort of touched on cursory, you know, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a wide open world and, and many people are interested in it. Although they, they didn't, as I didn't, um, they don't know it's a, it's a thing. Um, so it's kind of fun that way. You just like open up people's eyes to this whole world and they're like, oh, you know what? That makes sense. Y'all are doing cool stuff. Yeah. You've had this focus on what seems like you call team science or collaborative science, which seems to kind of look at the the collaborative dynamics within science itself to how to make those cooperation processes work, how to do interdisciplinarity. And I saw mm -hmm. you had a, a paper reflecting on the, the SESINC uh, graduate yeah. framework, like the Social Environmental Synthesis Center. Um, yeah. Annapolis. And you also had a paper in conservation biology a few years back, looking at the structure and processes of conservation social science as well. Now, I want to get into that a little bit. And, and what's your perspective on on team science? And what are some of the, the core barriers there? And, and perhaps some some insights from those two publications? Oh, well, <laughs> that's a that's a messy world, in my opinion. Um, 
but it is interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think any of us work alone anymore. Um, and we certainly don't always work with people who have the same disciplinary background, um, especially when it comes to sort of the, the conceptual foundations or theoretical foundations, uh, maybe more so when it comes to, you know, statistics and, and other, um, more sort of, um, uh, analytical skills, but yeah, we're all working in these similar domains and we have to be able to essentially, you know, have a, a language you know, we have to be able to communicate with one another. So it's, it's really, that's kind of the, the starting point for me, um, is just making sure, you know, everybody wants to jump into the research part, but a lot of it is just sort of getting to know one another, both formally and informally and, and getting comfortable with how each other, you know, speaks about certain things, um, what language they're using and, and trying to make connections between how you're thinking about it. And if, oh, they're using a different word and, I'm using a different word, but we're meaning kind of the same thing. And it's just, it's interesting when you're trying to do that on your own. Um, but with the succinct framework um, and, and kind of what I was talking about with those structures and processes, it is really nice to have some type of institutionalized framework, um, whether it's something informally that you sort of develop on your own with your own lab or or team that's across, you know, uh, universities and, and agencies, or if it is something more formalized from a boundary organization like Sysync, um, it, it really does matter how it's sort of structured and what processes are in there to make it sort of iterative and reflective. So allow people to, to get comfortable with it, to make mistakes and to sort of understand if it's really, you know, sometimes if it's even the right world for them, because, at the end of the day, in my experience, which is, has been limited, um, you know, the successful teams that are able to do things that really are, you know, innovative or, you know, interesting or really effective, they tend to get along. They tend to like each other. So you tend to end up making friends, um, when you're doing a lot of this work and it, and it ends up becoming this nice sort of uh, camaraderie where you're working with people you like both as, you know, professional and as, as a person. Um, and so in my experience, that's always the fun part is when you really start like, oh yeah, I like, you know, we can argue about theory and methods and then we can go have a beer. You know, it's kind of like fun things like that. But, and, and that's something that you have to sort of develop. It's, you know, sometimes it's organic, but you know, in the domains that I work in, working with practitioners and stuff like that, that's, that's the groundwork. That's the foundation. So that's, you know, before you push that go button on research, you really just have to get to know one another. So, and that's kind of what we drew, um, from, from our experiences with the succinct framework with, with everybody that was part of our, um, our first, that first graduate cohort, um, with a program they developed, um, back in, I guess, 2014. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 getting to know people and getting to, to realize that you all can actually, you know, like each other and really just sort of communicate easily, both, uh, you know, scientifically, but then also just, you know, off the record, we all have to sort of, um, you know, relax and deflate every once in a while. So it's nice when you're on a big team like that to be able to do that as well together. So I think it perhaps, you know, gets better results, but that's just my experience. Yeah. No, I mean, when you're talking about difficult things, it, it certainly helps from my experience as well to, to also relate on a more personal level. 
And it's it's interesting. It's something that I've been thinking about a little bit more recently is how this push for interdisciplinarity and perhaps also transdisciplinarity is now being leveraged from larger funding lines, from national frameworks, from bigger research agenda setting processes. But in my experience, which is also, I would say, limited, most of the way forward in terms of making interdisciplinary work is really a bottom-up process. It's really mm-hmm. one which you have to build relationships on an individual level and see how you work with this person and really invest the time. If you if you view it as a collective action problem, you have to be the individual who invests the time to overcome the costs yeah. um, of the group interest. And I wonder if that's a, f- a different process for early career scientists. And it's interesting to see that from assessing perspective because it seems that they've invested a lot of capacity in graduate students and early career scientists and trying to get them to build longer term collaborative uh, research processes, which are going to carry out later. Yeah, I think we're all, you know, everyone who's been involved in that from from our first cohort all the way up to the current one, um, it's going to be really interesting. So I know, you know, Margaret and John and, and the whole team there at Succinct are really interested in that question. And they, you know, they do follow ups um, and are really trying to understand how that's you know, how it sort of falls out over the long term. But, you know, one of the interesting things about it from my perspective is that, you know, that that experience was, you know, that was my choice. That was an add on. So I could have easily, you know, kept doing, you know, my sort of disciplinary thing and, you know, kept within my, you know, um, my safe space, my home base, if you will. Um, and and just done that and not really worried about um you know working across disciplines or domains uh because i i mean within the human dimensions you're doing that sort of um inherently within that field but this was an experience where you you're asking for it you're putting yourself out there um and you know they have again those structures and processes in place to help you sort of understand what's going on learn from it a little bit more and and have sort of you know, it's a safe environment, especially for a graduate student to be able to do that, to sort of nurture that a little bit more and sort of guide you through it. So I think that's one of the hard things probably for people who are more established already um, is that it's, you know, they don't have those those institutionalized mechanisms to really sort of guide you through that process. So they might be, you know, they might have the right sort of demeanor for it, attitude, personality for it and everything like that. But Oftentimes, it's sort of having sort of a structure around it and some processes in place to really, you know, facilitate it for you. Um, But yeah, I'm interested. I know a lot of my friends from that and colleagues from that, you know, that's continuously what they do. They work with a lot of people. Um, I have a colleague, uh, Drew Bennett at University of Wyoming. He's a professor of practice there. Um, He was part of that first cohort. So he's doing something similar to what I do with Idaho Fishing Game. And working directly with, you know, landowners and agencies on projects and multiple people who work, you know, globally on these big teams. Um, so I think it attracts a certain person. So I think there is some sort of, you know, self-selection bias um, in it. But I think, yeah, if anything, you know, universities, whether they are doing incubators or those types of things can really um, gain from our experience is just that you, you have to you have to buy into it you have to provide some you know structure around these people if you want them to succeed at you know team science as i call it or interdisciplinary research or transdisciplinary research because there's a lot of fake 
you know, interdisciplinary research and transdisciplinary research that people just put down on paper to get funding and stuff like that. But to, to make it really, really work and really click and really carry forward, not just in the short term, but in the long term. Um, and really, you know, I guess establish maybe a culture of it, which I think a lot of us are already keen to do, um, is really the fun part. Um, so I think, yeah, I don't know if that really gets to what you were thinking, but that's sort of my take on it. Like, you know, it's, it, it takes a village and it takes some really strong formal institutions to, to get things going. I want to get into a little bit on how your psychology background has influenced your thinking. Because from what I've seen, there's not that many folks out there who, who started in psychology and kind of navigated their way into the natural resource management space or governance space. Mm. And do you drop a particular type of perspective when you look at human behavior with your psychology background, which, you know, someone who came up with more of a political science or an economics background or a sociology mm. background, for example, might not see? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um you know, there's this whole, like I was saying earlier, when I got into this whole world, I, you know, environmental psychology has been around for a while. Um, you know, natural resource psychology or whatever you want to call it has been around since, you know, the 60s and 70s. Um, you know, environmental sociology even uh, has been around that long as well. So there's a, there's a strong tradition of it. Um, but I think it's, you know, like we were talking about earlier, people using different words and they kind of all are in this this big, big domain of whether it's conservation or environmental science or sustainability. Um, so it's been around for a while. Um, conservation psychology is a little bit more new. But I was saying earlier, a lot of it comes from this sort of uh, – leisure background where people were doing a lot of sociology, rural sociology and psychology research, mostly social psychology, not really any cognitive psychology. Um, and, you know, thinking about, you know, why people are making decisions. Um, and so you have those different scales. You've got the, you know, you could look at, you know, neural pathways or you can look as, you know, you know, political scientist or political ecology does at these giant sort of institutional or historical legacies, um, you know, path dependence, that type of stuff. It's really interesting at, at every level, you, you've got individuals making decisions. So that's where I come in. I'm really interested in what, what, you know, makes people tick or makes groups of people tick. Um, and, and particularly how they're influencing one another. Cause you see that pretty often, right? You know, one group does this and other groups doing that type of thing. And I think at the end of the day, you know, it is coming more into the fold. Um, you know, behavioral economics, in my opinion, is just social psychology with money. Um, but you know, and you're seeing a lot of behavioral insights coming into play. Um, you know, the nudge stuff did a lot for us as well. Um, people getting very interested in that type of thing. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of fun to see people really, you know, oh, yeah, you know, they, they're they grasping onto it and saying, yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's let's go with that. Um, but it's been around for a while, in my opinion. Um, and, and there's a it's really fun because there's a lot of different connections you can make when you start looking at things because, um, you know, um, you can sort of um, work down from sort of those those group or um, collective, um, action situations and, and think about all these, I don't know, group or institutional dynamics, and then sort of try to, you know, disaggregate them down into the individual level and then do it the other way from my perspective is, you know, work your way up and sort of see if they aggregate well. Um, 
And it's really interesting. We've, we've started thinking of, well, during my PhD, we were thinking about this type of stuff too. Um, thinking about some of, um, you know, Eleanor Ostrom's work on social norms and institutions and stuff like that and trying to draw connections between, um, you know, my, my background, um, from psychology and social psychology and looking at, at norms and social norms from those two different perspectives and seeing where there's some, some theoretical overlap or some conceptual overlap. And it was just kind of fun. And I think that's what happens. You know, people start thinking about things and they start looking for those commonalities. There's overlaps and see if there's any interesting questions that come up, um, and see if they can do some, some work together and see where it sort of fits in on the, on the practical side of things. Cause I don't know about you, but on the other side of this, it's like, oh, this is all great sort of basic science and, you know, research questions. But <laughs> at the end of the day, we're all trying to make a, you know, an impact on the world in the real life. So it is, it's a, it's an interesting balance. And I did, I came across your letter that you had in PNS, uh, social norms, more details, please. Uh, got a kick out of the <laughs> title, um, but it's true. And in many ways, I think that we have a lot of concepts that are surrounding the human behavior realm, which we agree are important and they can be not only important in terms of finding out empirical things about them, but also in being boundary terms and objects, which we can jointly yeah. huddle around and say, this yep. is an important concept. Um, even if we debate endlessly over the methodologies to measure it, <laughs> which social norms, it, it, it's one of those things. It seems like, Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's like a, I, yeah, it's like a political football. You just like everybody's got an opinion on it and you just throw it in somebody's face and say, you did that wrong. And then somebody's like, no, you did that wrong. Uh, right. so. <laughs> yeah, but it, it also I was thinking about this the other day is that human behavior is is the common fire we all huddle around. Yeah. I mean, we're all interested in this common thing. For a lot of us, that's in the relationship of human behavior and the environment. And I think we can, I mean, that helps framing it like that to break down a little bit the disciplinary terminologies that you mentioned earlier. I think yeah. a lot of the terminologies in terms of framing what we're actually focusing on can be better unpacked if we, if we frame it more around human behavior. Oh yeah, I agree. Cause I mean, if, and that's where you, that's where I start. Um, you know, I kind of work backwards, you know, kind of a theory of change perspective, right? What's the, what, what behaviors are we interested in? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and you know, and then within the context of the conservation or environmental problem that we're interested in, in addressing what other variables come into play. Cause I'm like, I, you know, I, you know, my background is psychology and social psychology, but oftentimes I'm really fascinated by all these sort of broader level, um, larger scale sort of mechanisms going on, you know, looking at especially you know, historical legacies, path dependencies, you know, looking at things, um, you know, environmental, um, oftentimes our environment dictates our behavior more than our sort of, you know, attitudes or beliefs about things. So if there's no road, you can't go someplace. Right. So there's, you know, kind of things like that, thinking about environmental structures. Um, so that's where my head goes with a lot of things, you know, outside of my domain. Cause we have, we have, you know, we have lots of explanations in psychology about behavior, but I'm interested in other people's, you know, explanations for behavior and, and seeing where those connections are and where we can sort of make um, some interesting uh, inferences for the specific, you know, problem that we're interested in helping solve. Um, so that's where I come down on that. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of your specific projects and perhaps start with uh, your links to Idaho Fish and Game. 
how did you get connected with them and what are some of the things you're interested in doing? Ah, well, um, so that's one of the interesting things about my position here. Um, you know, we were talking about earlier about institutionalizing things and, and, you know, kind of in a sense putting, you know, putting your money where your mouth is kind of thing. Um, and so this job announcement came out, um, I guess late. So anyway, I should start. I just started at university of Idaho in this position in August, 2019. Um, and so I guess probably, you know, the fall of 2018 is when the announcement came out. And so I applied and, and I got the job, but the job itself was a formal partnership, uh, or joint venture or joint position, whatever you want to call it between Idaho fishing game and the university of Idaho. So they, it's a co-sponsored position. So, um, I am in a sense, um, the state's human dimensions researcher with a, you know, tenure track position at the university of Idaho. So I'm, you know, kind of have feet in both worlds there. Um, and so with that, it's, yeah, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier developing, you know, not only the research program or co-developing that research program, but sort of develop, developing those relationships with the people. Um, and so that's, that's what, drew me to this position was just this idea that, yeah, I'm actually going to be put in a position where my research can make a difference, where it can sort of inform some, some practice and policy maybe, um, and help people make, you know, management decisions better, um, for the, the resource and for the individuals who use the resource. But not only that, I'm, I'm working directly with the agency that can get all that stuff done. Um, so it's an interesting world to be in, um, in that it's exactly, you know, you're put in a position where you're forced to work with people not in your discipline to work on problems that you all agree on are important and then sort of frame how to go about addressing those problems with each other and, you know, sort of learning from one another on, you know, what's important, what's not important. Um, so that's an interesting thing. I mean, I'm only, you know, eight months into that right now, I guess. And um, what it is, is we have a formal, you know, 10 year um, memorandum of understanding with Idaho Fish and Game to, to develop this, um, co-develop this research program to look at sort of, um, human dimensions aspects of fisheries and wildlife and develop a social evaluation and monitoring program for the state for the long term and, and kind of think about, you know, how we can better integrate you know, my research and my colleagues research into, um, management decisions, uh, so I have, yeah, there's a lot of interesting projects that we have going on. Um, it's, it's kind of, I feel like I'm on retainer with them a lot of times. Um, I'm tasked with, um, helping them develop species management plans. That's sort of my main task. So every species, whether it's elk or deer or pronghorn right now, those are the three that we're focusing on, or it might be, you know, cutthroat or Chinook in the fisheries domain, but helping them with in their species management plans for the state, uh, incorporating some human dimensions aspect of it, whether it's uh, stakeholder analysis or whether it's sort of developing uh, program evaluations, those types of things. But it's really sort of, you know, not just doing a, you know, boilerplate hunter or fisher or, you know, hunter or angler survey, but really sort of integrating those insights into their management plans. Um, so it's, it's fun. Um, it's a interesting world that you get dropped into <laughs> absolutely for, for i mean for many of us who work in the environmental governance realm i mean that sounds like just a fascinating opportunity to actually have a hand um, in shaping yeah. some policy and change I, i'd be interested in 
how that position got initiated? Was that <laughs> like a, a, re a reach out from one or the other sides to, to form a cooperation? Yeah, that's um, so the way it was presented to me um, when I started was uh, a former director of uh, Idaho Fishing Game. I think it was Virgil Moore. I think he and a, a former dean of the College of Natural, excuse me, College of Natural Resources here, I guess we're just talking and kind of trying to figure out how to make this happen. And, um, and then both, you know, they both got new directors and a new dean and, and they just kept the conversation going and then it, it kind of came to fruition. So I'm not quite sure, you know, who started the conversation or if it was just sort of a, you know, one of those moments where the book like, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, but you know, uh, to their credit, Idaho fishing game, uh, again, put their money where their mouth is. So they, my salary is partly paid by Idaho Fishing Game. So it's not just one of those, you know, um, rubber stamp type of positions. They're actually, you know, pay, paying me to, to do this job, um, which is really nice. Um, so they're invested wholeheartedly into this. Um, and so they're putting their trust in me um, to, to do good research for them. But in terms of how it came about, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was just probably one of those, again, like we were talking about earlier, sort of informal you know, conversations that people have who have been working together for a long time or the institutions have been working together for a long time. And they just said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that and see if we can make it happen. And, and they did. Um, and, and so I'm the first to do it. So we are kind of, um, figuring it out as we go. Um, there's other such joint positions. Um, uh, Chris Shazinski at university of Nebraska has a similar position or, somewhat similar position. And then there's a whole division at Michigan state, uh, PERM is the acronym there, uh, partnerships for ecosystem research and management. Um, and they, you know, they have an entire department that is sort of in partnership with, uh, with Michigan's, um, department of natural resources there. So there's a few of these going on and we're trying to develop a few more, um, here at the university of Idaho with other agencies. So like the, you know, Bureau of land or the, Department of Lands and State Parks and stuff like that, thinking about, you know, these essentially taking that USGS uh, co-op model and applying it to the state level with state agencies. Um, so it's something we're figuring out as we go. But it's it's fun to see that, you know, these institutions are deciding to to cooperate both informally and formally. It seems like a, a pretty encouraging practical development i would say from at least from from what a lot of us have been arguing in terms of integrating more science-based decision making in those government agencies that's going to be the interesting part too so then that's part of my job to make sure i'm doing it well um so that they can trust that the decisions that they make are based on high quality science and high quality data right i mean just studying that process itself it would be is oh, yeah. an interesting research project on team science and collaborative science yeah. Yeah. And we don't, we don't have anything set up for that, but that would be kind of fun, especially, um, so I don't know if you know how it kind of works here in the States, but, uh, in Idaho and, and many other States, um, the decisions, um, are made by commission. So we have a seven member commission here in the state who may or may not have a background in science or natural resource management. So everyone at IDFG and myself included, you know, our job is to, to sort of demonstrate, you know, 
that we were doing good science. And so they feel comfortable in making decisions based on our science. So yeah, it would be very interesting because we have that little wrinkle in there too. It's not just, you know, researchers and scientists and everybody, but we have these, these commissioners as well. And then, you know, legislators on top of that, eventually uh, making decisions. So yeah, from your perspective, yeah, it'd be fascinating to sort of study. Um. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I would be interested in hearing a little bit more about some of the details about how that might work. Even if you're in the early stages, you, you probably have a pretty good insight into how that how that actually works. So, for example, if you want to if they approach you and you want to do or you want to do some human dimensions research on pronghorn or on Chinook, what is what do you start from where does where does the basis for where you start to think about what type of knowledge would be needed what types of methodologies you would use and mm. then ultimately when you come to some sort of findings how does that get presented into a decision that can be integrated into a management plan yeah it's interesting because uh, so far you know with a state agency they're operating under you know different sort of guidelines and time frames so they tend to in my experience so far already have these these issues or these these projects um in development or sort of in their calendar and they just sort of come up and so all of a sudden it's you know now now it's time to do our pronghorn species management plan you know because right now i think they're on a six-year rotation with the plans and so they just pop up and they say you know, part of my job is to, to be part of that process. And they say, okay, hey, Kenny, um, we're doing the, the this management plan right now. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and and then, so, you know, I do the basic thing. I'm like, all right, so what have you all done before? You know, something, nothing, maybe a lot. And then I sort of dive into what was done, how it was done, and, and sort of start, um, you know, taking it apart piece by piece and seeing what's good, what's bad. Um, and then really... I think to your point, sort of asking, you know, what, what, what's the, what questions are at hand and what methods are the most appropriate to, to answer those questions? Cause in my world, a lot of times our default is to do those sort of quantitative, you know, surveys, um, which oftentimes, you know, are limited. Uh, you know, we know they're limited, but sometimes, you know, for whatever logistic reasons, that's the, the best option that we have available to us at the time. But, you know, my job now is to sort of put together, a, well, I guess a toolkit, if you will, um, on different methods, you know, that might be more appropriate to answer different questions. Like, you know, if we know a lot about uh, a topic area and we have a lot of information about what factors are, you know, in place, you know, we could do a quantitative survey because we've got, you know, um, established scales and instruments to work with. Uh, in another domain, we don't know what the hell's going on. So maybe let's get out there and do some interviews. Let's get in the weeds and do some archival research and see what's going on. Let's, you know, maybe we need to do, you know, a systematic map or review or a meta analysis and see what's going on, you know, see what we've done and then what other, you know, states have done in similar situations and, you know, draw on the whole gamut of, of tools available to us to, you know, answer these questions. Um, so, so that's my task right now. And I find it really interesting because, you know, at the end of the day, it's the questions we ask and how we go about trying to answer them with our methods and our conceptual frameworks that really dictate the answers that we get. So to, to answer your next question, it's like, uh, what, do, how do we then communicate that to, to, you know, our, you know, bureau chiefs and our director and our commissioner and the legislator and stuff like that. And so that's, you know, that's that science communication aspect of this that I'm, I'm not quite, um, uh, uh, yet 
completely comfortable in doing. So, you know, those are the things you learn as you go, I think. Well, those are important for our field in general to explore how those are going to work. I don't know if we have the right answers to those yet, but it's certainly encouraging that there's positions like yours out there trying it. I'm interested in in how the evaluation of your tenured position was set up because it seems (laughs) like you're going to be doing a lot of work, which is, of course, practical, but the traditional basis for evaluating tenure position might be more based on academic metrics like peer-reviewed publications, which are not maybe the main output. Um, yeah. Or of teaching, is your assessment set up a little bit differently? Well, no. Um, I'll be, you know, we have our university, actually our university just sort of, uh, uh, I think they just accepted some new uh, P&T criteria to sort of um, standardize it across the university, across all of our units. Um, so to answer your question, no, I'll be evaluated just like anyone else's. Um, and so... That's one of those interesting things about this position, you know, for anyone who's interested in this position or any sort of, you know, institution interested in developing this type of position, you have to be aware of that. And for me, you know, that's just one of the things that I accept, Um, you know, when I'm doing my research for, you know, IDFG, I have to start to think about that. It's like, okay, great. They have these interesting questions now. What's a question that I'm interested in that I might be, you know, might be you know, extend some theory or provide some insight that hasn't been done before um, that, you know, if I can balances, you know, an insight that'll be useful to the agency with the potential to publish something as well. Um, and it's one of those things that I, I tend not to, to worry about or stress over. Um, I'm of the opinion that, you know, I'll, I'll get publications. Um, so it's not something that I stress about too much. Uh, when you're doing those types of reviews, you know, your um, department head and others can can write certain things um, for, you know, external letter writers um, and external reviewers to sort of hit on and really evaluate. Um, but it, it, at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to my position description, which, you know, this component, this IDFG component of it is, I think, um, only 25% of my position. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, but that's not how I necessarily operate. I find, you know, the whole domain really interesting. So that's, I really go, you know, it's, it's typically a 50, 50 split. Like one of my other big projects right now, we're looking at developing a golden Eagle conservation, um, program from Montana all the way down to New Mexico. Um, and sort of, and that's completely external to anything I would be doing with, with IDFG. So it's kind of on me a lot of times to, to think about those, um, other projects that are going to, to help me in terms of tenure. So, you know, we're, you know, guest editing a conservation biology, special issue on conservation psychology, those types of things. It's just one of those things you have to sort of accept that, you know, you're going to get pushed into this, you know, these research uh, projects from IDFG. So you just got to make some time and space for yourself, um, for these other projects that might be a little bit more, um, or high have a higher probability of, of being publishable. Um, but at the end of the day, my, my goal is not to get the most publications. My goal is to, for my research to, to be useful. I'm, I'm very much a, a proponent of actionable research. So at the end of the day, that's, th- those are my goals. So, I'll hopefully make those, um, hopefully those will merge well with the, the P and T. Um, but you know, that's a few years down the road. <laughs> because the, 
the deficient game departments are set up by state in, in the states. How much is the cooperation between the different states? And do they have, for example, can you reach out to Montana or can you reach out to uh, Nevada or the neighboring areas mm. to, to discuss the the species which are, are migrating between? You know, that's one of the fun things. Um, with this project, that one in particular, that's going to be with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And they tend to have sort of these, these joint ventures across states and across their regions. Um, and again, it's kind of all that we were going to back at the beginning. It's knowing the right people. So building those relationships with whomever is sort of um, has some administrative oversight uh, and working with them um, to sort of make connections sort of uh, down the pipe, whether it's to others, you know, regional offices within U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or their sort of liaison officers with those state agencies. Um, but it's all long term, right? It's, you know, you got to look 10 years down the road because, you know, things don't move fast. <laughs> so especially especially when you're working with any type of state or federal, you know, agency or bureaucratic institution, you know, you just have to, you know, be in it for the, the long haul. Um, but it is going to be interesting. In my experience thus far, it's it's really just knowing the right people um, and making sure, you know, when this position, when my position was in development, they had two, they had the um, the director of the Fisheries Bureau and the director of the Wildlife Bureau on the search committee. So, um, or no, I guess it was Fisheries and the research division. Uh, they had the directors of those two um, on it. So it's, it's, again, it's just, you know, co-development, right? Everybody has a voice um, from the first step to the last. And so I think that's the important part. Um, and sort of one of those things that you learn is just, you know, make sure you're involving the right people at the beginning and building those relationships for the long term and making sure everybody's, you know, on the same page with stuff. Um, I don't know. That's where I'm at. I think, you know, especially I, you know, transdisciplinary research and, and transboundary research, even, you know, like you're talking about with birds, they migrate and that's, it's continental or cross continental, you know, it's, it's, you know, Northern, Northern Canada to, to Patagonia. So you've got huge, huge swaths of, you know, landscapes that you have to sort of negotiate and, you know, starting just here in the U S with the state level stuff and working with a federal agency is, is enough. <laughs> I bet. I mean, it gets a little bit into what I wanted to bring up as well is, is your interest in, in network science or, or building, for example, a conservation social yeah. science network. I'd be interested in just your kind of perspective on that and, and where you, why you think it's useful and what you're interested in doing. Oh, well, I mean, so to, it wasn't me who really initiated this. Um, I have my colleagues, um, Nia Morales. She uh, works for the uh, Florida uh, Fish and Wildlife Conservation uh, Department there. And uh, Noah Wiley, who works for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service out of the Atlanta office, um, they were the two that really brought me into the fold on this project because I was previously at the University of Arkansas. And this sort of all happened in, um, you know, the southeast region of the United States, just thinking about, you know, working across um, academic institutions and federal and state agencies, you know, we all, again, use different language, use different terminology. So I'm an assistant professor of whatever. It doesn't really matter. I'm just an assistant professor. Nia is an administrative specialist and Noah is a social scientist. Those are our official titles. 
And, but, but we're all human dimensions researchers, but neither of us would be, you know, if you were searching for us, you wouldn't really find that in our official title. And so that, you know, Nia had started this sort of directory um, in the Southeast to try to get a handle on who are all the players at the different institutional institutions, whether it's nonprofit, academic, you know, federal, state, tribal, uh, working in our domain. And that was an interesting question to me because I was like, oh, yeah, I, I don't think I can name everybody. And then it turns out some states don't have anybody and some states have some people, but they're a bit hidden. Um, and so and then, you know, you get to our worlds where, you know, you all have this environmental social science network thing going on. And then Emma's got this whole marine social science network thing going on. And then, you know, we're doing this conservation social science network thing going on. And so we're all and it turns out there's a few others out there, um, you know, in our domains thinking about these things. And it's, you know, it's probably hard for everybody just to really get a handle, even though we were saying it's a small world to get a handle on who's all there, especially when you're thinking about, you know, outside of your home institution type, right? Especially the nonprofit world, especially, but the state and federal level is where we sort of began. And we were like, wow, this is really hard because I can't, I, I can't go on and, and search, you know, my home state, uh, you know, Illinois, Missouri, I can't really go on and, and search the, the department of natural resources or fish and wildlife departments or conservation departments websites to find, you know, my contemporary researcher there because they don't have that title. Um, some states do, others don't. Um, and so we just found it really, really hard because at the end of the day, it's it's who you know and who you can work with. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned if you have a, 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 a network to really draw on and see, you know, what's been done before and not trying to reinvent the wheel and seeing what innovative things have worked or sort of what standard things keep working. Um, or don't keep working. So I think it's really important that the more we, we know who everybody is, the, the better off we are. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had a, I had a, an experience during my PhD where my advisor didn't know there was another, um, conservation psychologist on campus or environmental psychologist on campus in the psychology department. And so I was like, Hey, I want this person on my committee. And he's like, who's that? <laughs> And I was like, oh, even even at a university, sometimes researchers don't know others exist. So it's I think it's really important, you know, even if you're not going to work with people, it's just nice to know who's all out there. Um, and maybe eventually down the road, you you will work with somebody. Um, but it's, it's nice to know that there is a resource available to 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 find those people, whatever it happens to be, whether it is Twitter, which, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, from my experiences and other people's stories, you know, they found I mean, collaborations start over Twitter, you know, people find people, um, in various ways. And I think having some type of, you know, online directory or we're working on sort of this, this, um, you know, mapping everybody and, and having this sort of visual interface for everybody to, to look up each other. Um, you know, those types of things I think are essential. Um, we're just in this big world and you can read a lot of papers, but you know, people at state and federal agencies, they don't, they don't necessarily publish a lot. That's not part of their incentive structure. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily see their names. Um, so I just think it's really important to have some other mechanism to really find people. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. It's definitely something Michael and I have talked about and just the, just the connecting of people who are there and the knowing who's out there and is definitely a goal of ours. And 
definitely interested to hear your thoughts later if, if we can connect even more. Oh, yeah. And Twitter has also been one of those things for me. It, it's been beneficial by, by just by finding people. Just I didn't even know that yeah. people did the exact same thing basically that I do, but they're in some other part of the world. Which, which has been really, yeah. really hopeful. It can also be distracting. <laughs> well, you get a notification and you're like, somebody follows you. You're like, who's that? And you're like, oh, yeah. hey, I didn't know you existed. That's fun. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, like what Emma's doing with marine social science and what you're doing, it seems it's all, we have this common interest to connect and we realize that there's some sort of benefit there. And the structure of discipline is, as you mentioned the story, that there's someone at the same university who basically does the same thing. I mean, that's basically yeah. a disciplinary orientation, which is keeping us from, from finding out about each other and rethinking that to think about is a problem orientation, a better orientation to think about organizing people at university is a methodological orientation, a better mm -hmm. way to think about connecting people or some combination of, of, of different ways besides discipline to think about how we can connect and link our research together. I, th I think we need to have more conversations about that. Yeah. I mean, and there's, you know, like, I think it's, um, Arizona State, you know, when they restructured everything to these sort of bigger, um, broader sort of units of schools rather than departments, that's something especially a university can do. Or like my department's the Department of Natural Resources and Society. And so there's people like me, but then we've got people who are, you know, geospatially oriented and, you know, they're getting grants from NASA and, and doing remote sensing and, and trying to tie that to sort of human activity. So it's, again, back to that idea of scale. Um, but yeah, I think the, the problem orientation or the methodological orientation is really nice, but having some mechanisms to sort of institutionalize, that's really important. And yeah, getting away from sort of these, you know, well, you know, we always called them silos, but yeah, those, those structures that really kind of keep us away from one another, um, you know, and one of the interesting things on the, you know, from our, from my domain is there's not many of us, um, when we're talking about, uh, social scientists who work with state and federal agencies, you know, we have this, um, you know, N of one problem where it's usually just one person like Wiley's Wiley's the one social scientist for, for region two for us fish and wildlife service. Um, you know, Nia's done great work in Florida. She actually, they have a whole center there for conservation, social science. So, She's one of the few states uh, where they have multiple people, but then you have, you know, states all over the country who just have one person and Idaho, you know, Idaho just has me and I'm half and half. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, so that's one of the problems we deal with as well is, you know, you know, that sort of getting that, that, that capacity up a little bit too. So being able to connect with other people to sort of buttress our, our capacity is really, really important as well. Um, and yeah, anything that we can do to sort of break down those barriers that are there is really important. So if it's, yeah, problem orientation, because, you know, I'm with you all, like <laughs> the marine social science world is huge, you know, and oftentimes it's kind of, it's doing its own little thing, but then there's all these other people that are very interested in what you all are doing and, and drawing connections, um, to, and using some of your techniques and approaches. And I would assume that would be very similar. Um, if we all got connected, just being able to see what works and what doesn't, um, you know, in my world, human dimensions of fisheries is a few steps ahead of human dimensions of wildlife. So we draw from a lot of researchers on sort of what's working for them and the types of questions that they're asking. It'd be great to hear a little bit about uh, what you're interested in going forward. If you have some, some projects in the works or what you would like to do over the next years. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's interesting. I've got, 
a few things in the works. You know, right now I'm just sort of focused on getting things established here and, and getting into sort of a, a rhythm um, with with IDFG and with the university and, and sort of building a lab and bringing in some grad students and and finishing up some previous work. Um, you know, moving forward, that's one of the big things um, for me is uh, like we were talking about with my position, um, a lot of, of what I get to do might not necessarily be, you know, um, research oriented in terms of, of collecting data and, and analyzing it and getting a publication out of it. But we're very much interested in building, again, a sort of uh, program. You know, I, I get to work on this sort of program level a lot of times with IDFG. So working on a, a human dimensions or, you know, um, social evaluation and monitoring program for IDFG to where they can start thinking about, you know, these things in – you know, broader terms than just a angler study or, or sorry, an angler survey or a hunter survey and start thinking about, you know, what's, what's working, what's not working, getting some, maybe even some experimental design, um, methods or, you know, um, randomized controlled trial methods implemented, um, to look at things that sort of these, you know, they've, they put a lot of effort and money into, you know, these management plans and these programs that they implement. So let's see if they're actually working, um, from a, from a social perspective. Um, so that's one of my big plans. And I think that's going to be, that's probably a five, 10 year plan there. Um, some other stuff, there's interesting things, um, here in the U S our funding structure for, um, you know, wildlife conservation comes a lot from hunting. Um, so that's, and fishing. So that's one of the things that, that we're interested, or at least I'm interested in a few others are interested in is, you know, addressing that, um, that funding mechanism and seeing if that's uh, a bit of a hindrance or how we can better improve that. So, um, looking at different mechanisms, for example, Missouri and Arkansas have a, um, statewide sales tax. So, you know, a quarter cent or a quarter penny from yeah every thing sold in those states goes to a pot um, for the conservation of, of fish and wildlife and state parks and heritage type stuff. So it's kind of interesting. Um, right now I'm just finishing up a few other things. Um, so my, my plates pretty much after the next few years, it's going to be a little bit open-ended and I'm saving a lot of space for whatever IDFG might have in store for me. Cause I think the, just that whole, you know, problem domain is super interesting. So there's a lot to be done. Um, you know, in the American West, there's just so many issues. I mean, we've got everything from, um, um, you know, uh, hydropower dams and, and, you know, you know, breaking dams and, and, you know, dam busting to help with the salmon recovery. You know, we've got wolf reintroduction, we've got elk issues, moose issues, everything associated with climate change here. So we've just, I mean, essentially there's just everything you can imagine. Um, so I'm pretty content with what I have uh, on my plate for just, just IDFG that I don't really have to think about anything beyond that. Um, but if there was one thing, my, you know, my interests a lot are in social norms. So I think uh, establishing some more uh, definitive research and looking at, at social norms and making connections to sort of the um, informal and formal institutional domains, you know, thinking about 
you know, Lynn's work and, and North's work and trying to draw connections again, like we were talking about earlier between the, the social psychological and sort of the institutional or even, you know, the public administration domain, um, especially because, you know, I'm working with a bureaucracy right now and sort of thinking about those types of things. And, you know, those are interesting questions that haven't been asked before um, in, in wildlife conservation. So, but I'm also open to a lot of different things. There's a lot of cool collaborations that can happen. Like we've talked about, you know, you get to know people and you think, Oh, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So, yeah. So I don't really have much. I mean, I'm, I just kind of, I know what I want to do. And, um, I, but again, I'm at the mercy sometimes of, of what my position allows me to do. So, but I think that's fun. Cause like we were talking about earlier, it's, you know, pra- practical things that we get to sort of address. No, you certainly have a unique position. I'm, I'm interested to follow and see how that works out on a practical level and see what your insights are. We'll, uh, we'll link to your, your site and your Twitter page in the show notes. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Oh, no, I just, um, you know, I think it's great what you all are doing. And um, yeah, I'd love to connect some more with you and Michael and everybody about sort of, um, you know, with, with what I'm doing and with Nia and Wiley and, and what you all are doing and what Emma's been doing for marine social science and just kind of see what we can work towards and see if there's some interesting stuff to, to really get us all connected. Cause I would, I would love people in my world to know more about you all. Um, uh, because I, you know, read your all's work and, and think, Oh, wow, people should know about this stuff. So, uh, and, and see how people, you know, the better read you are outside of your domain and the better connected you are outside of your sort of discipline, I think the better off we all are, um, in the long term, really just sort of expanding our horizons a little bit more. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Kenny. Thanks for coming on. It was fun. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the conversations we're having, feel free to follow us on Twitter or to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can find us on most podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. You can also listen and find the show notes for each episode on our website, along with other projects related to the Environmental Social Science Network. 